Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the latest edition of the Xander's Facts podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. It is Wednesday, August 9th, episode 114 of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. We have got a lot of facts to get to this week because, don't know if y'all know, but a lot of stuff has been going on in the sport of soccer recently, men's and women's. We've been talking about the women for... A couple weeks now with the Women's World Cup and, you know, the U.S. and everything that's happening there. I have just not very many thoughts, but I am going to say a couple things about that in just a minute. But also, on the men's side, we've got the European club season, which is about to begin across the pond. Like, begin as in Friday, I think, is when some of the games, the big games start in the Premier League. So we got to get these facts out here for you. So this week, I basically do my European club soccer season preview. For the Premier League, I gave you my 1 through 20, what I think the table is going to look like this season, who's going to get relegated, who's going to win the league, who's going to go to Champions League. Then kind of talk about all the other leagues, who I think is going to win the top other leagues, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A talk about the top teams there, predict who's going to win, and then of course predict the Champions League, who I think is going to win the top European competition, talk about all the transfers, everything that's going on, Christian Pulisic plays for AC Milan, we talk about all that stuff, give you all the facts that you need to know before the season starts this Friday, that's coming up on this week's edition of the podcast, but before we get to that, just wanted to remind you all that if you like the Zaders Facts podcast, if you think you're going to like all the facts on this week's edition, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 114, rate and review the podcast, and then check us out on all the socials, Twitter, Threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Zaders Facts, that's Zander with a Z, and most importantly, remember to tell all your friends, spread the facts, Zaders Facts podcast, tell all your friends about the podcast. About our newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts, if you don't know about that, it is a recap of the week's top headlines. It comes out every Sunday morning. It's free to sign up on Substack and in the link in this episode's description down below. You can go check that out and also check out the Xander's Facts link tree, which has all the Xander's Facts links that you need that is also linked in this episode's description. So before we get to our men's club soccer season preview over in Europe, Yes, y'all, I do have to mention, at least in passing, the Women's World Cup and our U.S. women who, uh oh, I think as I did say on this podcast last week, lost to Sweden in penalties. Basic, I mean, a millimeter is basically the margin between losing and almost advancing in penalties in a game where they were the much better team. I said, if they want to have a chance of winning against the third best team in the world, or at least according to the FIFA rankings, they need to play much better than they did against Netherlands and Vietnam and Portugal. And they did. They just couldn't find a goal. And there's a lot of reasons to be criticizing this team, the players, the coaches, and There's a lot of people on the internet who are doing that. And I agree with a lot of that stuff about the play kind of looked lackluster. The coaching did not. I mean, this has been an issue. People who have been following the U.S. women's national team were like in the Olympics two years ago when we didn't do so well. The coaching doesn't look so great. Looks like it's a bit of an issue. Just really maybe the motivation that this team had. Obviously, they've won the last two World Cups. No team has ever won a third. That's obviously motivation, but also you come into it like, you know what? We've been here. We've done that. So why don't you come at us? Of course, you know, the rest of the world was like, all right, we'll come at you because the rest of the world has gotten a little bit better, you know, and that's not even in reference to teams like Sweden or Germany or Brazil or Canada, all top 10 FIFA ranked teams who got out in the group stage. Because those teams have been at the top for a long time and have been challenging the U.S. Germany's won two World Cups. But teams like Vietnam 
and Portugal, who are making their first World Cups. Colombia, who's in the quarterfinals. You know, these teams, the 20s and 30s in the FIFA rankings, the teams who we really don't expect to do well against the U.S. That's kind of what we talk about when the world is getting better. It's not the Germanys and the Swedens and the Japans and the Spains, because they've always been up there. Canada, Brazil, Germany, as I said. But the teams who we haven't seen before, the Colombias and the Portugals, you know, and I think the U.S. kind of figured that out in the group stage when they only beat Vietnam 3-0 and then we were held to a scoreless draw inches away from losing to Portugal and not even advancing past the group stage, which, you know what, the second ranked team in the world didn't do. So at least we did that. But it is disappointing that we only made it to the round of 16. Obviously, is it disappointing we didn't win our third straight World Cup something that no country or team, men's or women's, has ever done? Yeah, it's disappointing. Is it surprising? No, absolutely not. And is it a failure that they didn't win the cup for the third time in a row? No, but getting out in the round of 16... When you're the two-time defending champion, you're the U.S. women, you have four stars just above your crest. Yeah, that's disappointing. And all the criticisms around this team with their play, what they look like on the field, the coaching, are totally justified. But if I will for a second, there's been a lot of criticism regarding this team that has not been about what's been going on on the field. It has gone... Not just from the random hollows of the internet to the mainstream of the internet with some of these people on whatever Twitter is now, X, and even on the Fox broadcast who decide to criticize the U.S. women not for their play because they really don't know what they're talking about. And these are a lot of people, listen, a lot of these people watch soccer a lot and they may know what they're talking about, but they don't show it when they're on the TV. But a lot of these people who are criticizing, and I'm not afraid to name names, Ku Klux Klan, Travis, Will Kane, we're talking about Fox News people who don't, I bet, don't really watch soccer, don't really watch the U.S. women, except for maybe once every four years in a World Cup game. And obviously why I talk about soccer on the podcast is to help grow the game so that more people watch. That's obviously what we want to do. But people who share their opinions of the U.S. women lost because they're woke. They are too committed to social justice nonsense. They want equal pay, which takes away from the men's team. They are terrible, and that's why they lost. That kind of crap, enough. You know what? Go away. Here, this is what Will Kane, who used to be on ESPN, now is the co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend, said... On Twitter, after the U.S. women lost to Sweden in a game where they were the better team, by the way, if you actually watched the game, if you got up at 5 a.m. and watched like I did. True that. I know the people making these tweets probably didn't. He said, I always pull for Team USA, all sports. Oh my gosh, true patriot. And I really don't take joy in the earliest elimination ever for the U.S. women's national team. But this team came to be defined by arrogant celebrity activists who went out of their way to exhibit shame in the U.S., begin the process of destroying their own sport, advocating for men to play women's sports, and curry victimization with false narratives around equal pay. Nobody made it harder for, to root for them than the U.S. women's national team. There are women on this team who have poured their heart and soul and sweat into this team for the U.S., who are proud Americans focused on soccer, I hope these players define the future of the U.S. women's national team. Oh my gosh, Will Kane, you proud patriot American hero. Well, here's the thing. First off, advocating for women, for men to play women's sports, what is he talking about? He's talking about grooming, which everybody says, or they say, is happening in our schools. Oh my gosh, the LGBTQ plus are grooming my child. When has that ever happened? Go find me evidence. He didn't cite any evidence, and there is none out there, because that's garbage, right-wing nonsense that has no basis to the claim. And also the fact that he said um, false narratives about equal pay. I, there's a lot of U.S. men's fans who are on the internet, which usually I won't comment on, but a lot of these people 
U.S. men's fans are very angry at the U.S. women for these false narratives about their equal pay, saying they use data when the U.S. men's national team was at a down point to say that the U.S. women were generating more revenue for U.S. soccer. And they're talking about 2018, of course, when the U.S. men didn't make the World Cup. And what, what are you talking about? The U.S. women used the data that was available to them most recent at the time. You may remember this fight has been going on for almost a decade now. And yeah, the U.S. men failed to qualify for the World Cup. Is that the women's fault? I don't think so. I love the U.S. men's national team more than the women's team. Probably I follow all their players more. But they failed to qualify for the men's World Cup. How is that the women's fault? Why are you blaming the women for using that data in that year and saying, this is totally, how could they do this? This is not fair. They're kicking the U.S. men while they were down. Maybe the U.S. men should have qualified for the World Cup. That's a total institutional problem that that was, not really blaming the players on the field for what happened in 2018, because that was a disaster of epic proportions on all levels. But it's totally fact to say that the U.S. women, who then the next year won the World Cup, to say that they generated more revenue. They did. How is that being facetious? or creating a false narrative about equal pay. I really don't understand it. There's that piece of it. And then there's the whole, what are they? Arrogant celebrity activists. Because they have all these commercials, and players like Megan Rapinoe have been very outspoken about social justice issues and the equal pay, and things that people on Fox usually don't like. They like to call things that Megan Rapinoe and others like to advocate for as woke. And we had a previous podcast where we talked about woke on this podcast and what it meant. And I'm still not sure what exactly it means, but apparently that's why they lost because they were too focused on other matters. Woke issues. They're too woke. Kind of like the dog whistle. I remember telling you all last week about with Carly Lloyd, which he said on Fox, these players are too distracted. You know, well, the thing is, if y'all remember the 2019 women's team, it was basically the same thing. Now, obviously, they weren't using the term woke because they had there was another whatever they were using. They weren't using woke yet. They just came up with that like a year ago or so. But at the same time, you know, who was the star for the women at the 2019 World Cup? The golden boot winner, the golden ball winner was Megan Rapinoe. And you think that the people who, well, let's just say are supporters of the president at the time who got into a Twitter feud with Megan Rapinoe liked all that? No, they despised her then when they were on top and still talking about social justice issues, how the right vilified Megan Rapinoe. They were on top then, didn't affect them then, but now... Because Megan Rapinoe is 38 years old and absolutely does cannot play the same way as we saw in the World Cup and in the Sweden game, the right can now pounce and they can say, this is why it's because you're too woke. Well, wasn't she what you would call woke four years ago, eight years ago? Like, if you followed Megan Rapinoe throughout her career, her standings on social justice issues have really remained the same over her career, but she was winning her entire career. World Cups. She's got two World Cups. I read this article in USA Today that was pretty good. It was titled, the U.S. Women's National Team Might Have Lost at the World Cup, but Megan Rapinoe won a long time ago. It goes, quote, The people delighting in Megan Rapinoe's misfortune forget something. They can send their triumphant emails rife with misspelling and misogyny, and it won't change the fact she's a two-time World Cup champion and played in another final. The right-wing media can spew more vitriol her way, and she'll still have her golden ball and golden boot honors from four years ago. This is one of the most decorated, one of the most talented, one of the best women's soccer players the world has ever seen. And yet, 
Because she's too woke, the U.S. women fail, and they fail to represent their country proudly. They're too woke, so they lost to Sweden, possibly the most progressive country in the world. Gash facts. That makes sense. And also, I've noticed that a lot of people on the internet, or whatever, like to call out the U.S. women for the national anthem. A lot of them... Maybe their hand's not over their heart. Maybe they're not singing it. And they complain and say, they are not patriotic. They are not representing their country. This is terrible. Get them off the field. Things they could have said four years ago and did say four years ago, and it didn't matter. But now their calls get, you know, louder because the U.S. women lost. Because this transition between the veterans and this new group of players that we have coming in, which if you watch the World Cup, and you can see, you can kind of see the talent in between the messed up tactics and everything that was going on. The U.S. women are still going to be one of the top teams in the world for a long time to come. But a lot of these people, a lot of them who regularly do not watch soccer or women's soccer, who hate this, say it is un-American, unpatriotic. Of course, forgetting the fact that we have the right to free speech free expression in this country. And those women out there are using it to their full extent. The First Amendment, which is as American as it gets. Because I think we should celebrate the fact that we as Americans can choose whether or not to sing the national anthem while it's being played instead of criticizing the team that represents our country for not singing the national anthem or putting their hand over their heart while it's going on. A team that I would say they've won four World Cups. This group of players that's currently getting all the hate won the last two World Cups, I'd say, represented our country pretty well. Like, I don't think what they did would be considered hate speech or things that go beyond what the First Amendment protects. Like, maybe a certain former president who was just indicted for the third time. We'll have to have a podcast about that pretty soon, y'all. But I just wanted to wrap it up and I guess basically address that, yes, the U.S. women lost. It's disappointing. Is it surprising? No, even though I did predict them to win on the facts this week because, you know, third World Cup in a row, no other country's done that. Would have been pretty awesome. But you know what? There's only four teams, men's or women's, who have won back-to-back World Cups. And so that, in and of itself, should be celebrated. And there's a lot of people, a lot of people who call themselves American patriots, who say they are true to America, the, their political opposition hates America. A lot of these people who now continue to dump and hate, spew their hate, on the women's national team of the United States. I don't know. Just seems a little hypocritical to me, if you will. But I don't know. Quit your whining. We'll leave that alone for now because this is a men's soccer podcast this week. So let's get into our main topic this week. I wanted to do a little bit of a preview of the European club soccer season before the season begins, which for the Premier League, you know, the league we usually talk about the most on this podcast, it is... I mean, according to at least the rankings and the coefficients, the top club soccer league in the world. The Premier League starts on Friday in England. Burnley and Manchester City get the season underway. So we got to get the season preview rolling, y'all, because we got to get all the facts in before the top teams in the world get underway over the next few weeks. So if you'll remember last year when we did our European club soccer season preview, we did a little game where I ranked my favorite English Premier League clubs from best to worst. Leeds was number one. Chelsea, two. That was, yeah. Those, first off, Leeds isn't even in the Premier League anymore, y'all. If y'all don't remember, they were relegated. Um, and Chelsea are dead to me right now. So those have kind of changed. So I'm not going to do that this year because I don't know where I put any teams because. Last year, those were like the teams I was rooting for. And now coming into this year, I don't really have any teams that I'm rooting for, at least. Really just players in the Premier League, at least. I've got one or two teams in Europe that I'm going to be rooting for. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We're going to start with the English Premier League. And this year, 
instead of ranking my favorite clubs, I'm going to be doing a prediction of the standings, what we call in soccer as the table. So I'm going to go 20 to 1, basically predicting what's going to happen, where the teams are going to stand at the end of the season, which three teams at the bottom are going to get relegated to the championship, which is the second tier of soccer in England. You don't want to do that, which teams will get to the top four, which means you get to play in the UEFA Champions League next season. You get more games, you get more fame, money, you know, for a lot of these teams. That's pretty important. And then, of course, my champion. So I'm going to just do that for the Premier League, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple of the other top leagues in Europe, Serie A in Italy, La Liga in Spain, and then we've got Bundesliga in Germany. And then, of course, some other notes, some facts, and then I'm going to have my prediction at the end for who's going to win the UEFA Champions League. So that's what we got on our fact-filled European club soccer season preview for the 2023-24 season. Let's do it. Let's start with the English Premier League. I'm going to basically run down my predicted table, all 20 teams, 20 to 1. Let's start at 20, my predicted last place team. Y'all, I'm sorry, but Luton Town. So sad. Goes in 20. Luton Town is one of three teams who are getting promoted this season from the championship, the second tier of English soccer. It's Luton Town, Sheffield United, and Burnley. And Luton Town, if you don't know about Luton Town, I think I mentioned this before on the podcast, but they have this basically, it's like a 10,000 seat stadium. It's called Kenilworth Road. If you have never seen it before, you need to look it up because it's basically surrounded by, I guess, townhouses. They, I guess they call them flats in England. And you know, just randomly plopped kind of in these, you know, in the sea of flats in Luton, England, is this 10,000 seat Kenilworth Road Stadium, which is going to be a Premier League stadium next season. They had to spend almost 10 million pounds basically renovating the stadium to get it up to Premier League code so that they could play Premier League games there this season. And um, I don't know. They had Ethan Horvath. You remember Ethan Horvath, our goalkeeper, one of our goalkeepers for the U.S. men's national team. They had him on loan from Nottingham Forest. He's back at Forest, Luton Town. Why? Like, he got Luton Town promoted. He helped them get promoted last year. In penalties, in the playoff, if you don't know, the top two teams in the championship automatically get promoted, but teams three through seven in the championship go through a four-team playoff to determine who's going to be the third team to get promoted into the Premier League the next season. Luton Town won the playoff, thanks to Ethan Horvath, in penalties. Year before that, helps Nottingham Forest get promoted, and yet Luton didn't exercise their option to buy him. So you know what? Luton Town 20. Sorry, y'all. 19, second team that's going to get relegated, Bournemouth, the Cherries, y'all. It was interesting because Andoni Arola is their new coach at Bournemouth. Gary O'Neill was their head coach last year, their manager. You know, a lot of people didn't expect Bournemouth to stay in the Premier League. They had just gotten promoted. It was year one. A lot of people expected them to go right back down. They didn't. And then they let their manager go, Gary O'Neill. That's kind of interesting. But the sophomore slump, for teams that don't get relegated, and stay in the Premier League after their first season, there's been this tendency of the sophomore slump. And I think it may hit the Cherries hard. Even though they've got a couple midfield signings, Justin Kluivert, Ahmed Traore, those are names you might hear a lot if you watch Bournemouth this year. I just, the sophomore slump, probably going to hit Bournemouth. 19, 18, this team has not been in the second tier of English soccer since 1954. It's a fact. They've stayed up in the first tier of English soccer longer than any other team currently. It's Everton. They have just narrowly survived relegation the last two years, but they haven't really brought in like any reinforcements besides Ashley Young, who's 38 years old. So... Everton, like, this has been the last few years. They've been teetering on the brink. 
Sean Deitch, their manager, he basically saved them last season when he came in because Frank Lampard was the manager. Things were going bad, going south. It looked like Sean Deitch just got enough out of them so on the last day of the season they could survive. But this might be it, y'all. This might be the time. Without spending on players that are actually going to help you, this might be it for Everton, y'all. 18. That's what I just think. So those three teams would get relegated. Whoops. The team that I think is just going to narrowly survive relegation but stay in the Premier League for the next season, Sheffield United. 17. They, like Bournemouth last year, probably a popular team to get relegated again. They were kind of lucky to get promoted. They had suffered some big financial troubles over the last few years. So getting promoted to the Premier League obviously gives you more fame, stature, in English soccer, but it gives you a lot more money because of their TV deal too. So that getting promoted is going to help him out. But because they did sign Austin Trusty from Arsenal, who is the defender for the U.S. men's national team, if you didn't know, I have them barely surviving relegation. Sheffield United. 16 Wolverhampton Wanderers, also known as Wolves, they struggled to stay up last season, and they only scored 31 goals in 38 games. That was last in the Premier League. Fact! Didn't get relegated, though, but it could be a similar story this year. They were just in the news today, Tuesday, August 8th, the day I'm recording this podcast, because they fired their manager, and they replaced him with Gary O'Neill, who I, if you remember, just a minute ago, I said was Bournemouth's coach. So that was kind of interesting because they haven't, this, you know, we're three or four days before the beginning of the season. That's kind of strange. You've also got a bunch of big contributors from last year. Ruben Neves, Jean Moutinho, Diego Costa, and Adama Traore. They're all gone. Fabio Silva is returning from loan from Eindhoven over in the Netherlands. Wolves, though, they were 13th, I believe, last year probably going to drop down 15 i've got burnley burnley were the top team in the championship last year basically ran away with it and they look like they could be this year's fulham under vincent company fulham last year were newly promoted fulham are a team who have been teetering between the premier league and the championship over the last few years but fulham surpassed expectations last year for a really good finish that could be Burnley this year. They could finish higher than 15th. And their manager is Vincent Company. Vincent Company, Man City legend. And the first game of the season, Man City against Burnley at Turf Moor in Burnley. That's going to be really interesting. Vincent Company facing his former team for the first time in the Premier League as a manager. That'll be pretty good. They also signed 20-year-old English goalkeeper James Trafford. If you watch the U21 Euros this summer, I know U21 Euros, you probably didn't, but he was basically the star for England. They did win that tournament. They had a couple other signings that were really good. The Clarets, as they're known, that could make it hard to get three points at Turf Moor for other teams for Burnley. So Burnley... A lot of people are saying this, but they actually, there's good reason they're saying this. They could be the Fulham this year. They could be the ones who don't just survive relegation. They could basically blow past it. Now, 14, we've got Nottingham Forest. Y'all, the tricky trees. Tricky trees have become, just over the last few days, somewhat of a good team for myself and for all U.S. men's national team fans because Matt Turner... Our goalkeeper for the U.S. men who started in the World Cup, basically our number one now, he's coming in from Arsenal on a transfer. He's likely to be their number one goalkeeper. He's going to be starting Premier League games. Wayne Hennessy is their goalkeeper right now. Dean Henderson was there on loan. He's from Manchester United. I know they're trying to do like a permanent deal now. And Ethan Horvath obviously is there too. But Matt Turner's probably going to be the number one goalkeeper at Nottingham Forest. They've also got Anthony Alonga. He was the biggest signing from Manchester United this offseason as well. Tricky trees. I mean, when you've got Matt Turner, I mean, listen, he only spent, what was it, a year or so behind Ramsdale at Arsenal, but he played in cup games, and we saw for the U.S. men how much more comfortable 
he looked with the ball at his feet. That year at Arsenal, I think, is going to do wonders for him. And now he's going to be able to be playing against the best in the Premier League week in and week out, hopefully. So I'm really excited about that. If we see Matt Turner starting for Forrest this weekend, I'm going to be pretty excited. So I got Forrest, 14, Tricky Trees, 13, I've got West Ham, the champions of the Europa Conference League, by the way. That was their first trophy in a while. Declan Rice, though, their star player. He's gone to Arsenal over a $100 million transfer fee Arsenal paid for him. And West Ham haven't spent any of that. They're just laying on that cash right now. You know, in the midfield, how about Tyler Adams? We'll get to Tyler Adams in just a second when we get to another team. But I don't know why they're not spending money. And apparently, right now, they're targeting Harry Maguire. So, um, I don't know. And they're also, because they won the Conference League, they're moving up to the second competition in Europe, which is the Europa League. They're going to have those extra games. So I don't think it's going to be a good year for West Ham. All the way to 13th, which would not be good at all. And then 12th, Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace are just kind of, you know, they're, eh. They've lost Wilfred Zaha. Michael Olise is linked to a move, potentially to Chelsea, two of their best players. So unless they get active later on in the transfer window, they kind of, you know, just sitting where they were. They do, however, have Chris Richards from the U.S. men's national team who could see the pitch more this season. So if they can do that, Crystal Palace may be doing a little better. But we'll see about that. But going to 11, y'all... If this podcast ever got aggregated, for whatever reason, it would be because of this, and I would get killed by some people. 11 is Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea. No. Graham Potter's Chelsea. No. Frank Lampard's Chelsea. Uh, No. Oh, yeah. Mauricio Puccettino is the manager of Chelsea. They finished 12th last season, which is their worst placing in the Premier League since the end of the 1993-94 season when they finished 14th. Like y'all, they didn't play Pulley very much. He did get injured, and then they didn't play him for whatever reason, and they stunk. And so thankfully, Pulley is gone. Also, a bunch of their mainstays like Mason Mount. He's off to Manchester United. N'Golo Conte is in Saudi Arabia for whatever reason. Kai Havertz is at Arsenal. Now they've got Christopher Nkunku, who was supposed to be one of their big signings this offseason. He, we just learned on Tuesday, has to have surgery on his knee. He's going to be out for four months. That's not good for Chelsea. Potentially, they're going to sign Brighton's Moises Caicedo. Tiago Silva's still there. Reese James, Enzo Fernandez, better flyboy. All the rest of them at Stamford Bridge. Oh, they do have Gaga. Of course, Gaga Slonina, U.S. men's national team at goal. He's not going to be there this year, though, because he's on loan to Belgium. No Pooley, no points, as I say, for Chelsea. You know, that group of players, Silva, James, they won the Premier League, but Fernandez, Butterfly Boy, all them, you know, last year didn't look so good for them. They finished 12th with a lot of those players really starring or headlining for the team, if you will. And so there is a transfer rumor right now. Tyler Adams, who's still at Leeds, apparently is injured for the start of the season. He was injured last year, and you remember that coincided with their big drop-off, which ultimately got Leeds relegated, along with firing Jesse Marsh, which turns out they probably shouldn't have done because the trajectory they were on with him, while it wasn't great, they were not going to get relegated. Either way, I don't care about Leeds anymore, but Tyler Adams for now is still there. He has about a 20 million pound release clause. And the rumor is Chelsea are the ones who are likely going to invoke it and bring him there. Which, Tyler Adams, please, if you have any other choices, but I'm begging you, do not go to Chelsea. Your career, we love you. You're amazing. Your career, uh, I don't know if it would be ruined, but you just saw. What Christian Pulisic, what happened to him at Chelsea? He helps them stars in their Champions League winning campaign, and they just throw him out like he's nothing at the end. 
You don't want that happening to you, Tyler Adams. We love you. Please do not go to Chelsea. And if you do, because that's going to make me have to watch Chelsea again, and I don't want to do that. Please don't. Oh, I just, oh, I can't. Are you done? I mean, that upsets me greatly. Like, I don't want him to stay at Leeds in the second tier, but Chelsea, uh, I guess that's better, but, uh, I don't know. Because the fact that he's probably not going to start over Moises Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez, I just, I don't know. I don't want to talk about Chelsea. I have them 11th. Brentford, 10th. Their goalkeeper, their starting goal, I don't understand this. Their starting goalkeeper, David Raya, is going to Arsenal. But Arsenal have Aaron Ramsdale, who's really good. He's their starter, so Raya's going to be the backup instead of the starter at Brentford. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand that. Ivan Tony, if you haven't heard about that, he was betting on his team while he wasn't playing. So um, Premier League didn't like that. Banned him for basically the first half of the season. He's basically the best player. So they've got a lot of personnel questions. The busy bees of Brentford. It's their third season in the Premier League. I don't see them making a big jump from last year. And honestly, if I didn't hold such a grudge against Chelsea, I'd probably put Chelsea ahead of Brentford. But I've got Brentford 10th. Nine, full America! Y'all, full America were in full force last year. They did really well. Tim Ream, Jedi Robinson, they're back and they're ready to shine as the great Americans they are in Fulham's defense. Of course, they're still going to need some help. Some attacking stars, Willian and Alexander Mitrovic, both of whom are currently linked to some Middle Eastern clubs at the moment. You know, if, if they leave, that's a big issue for Fulham. But right now, as it currently stands, I've got Fulham 9th. Because they're full America, and we love full America. Brighton, as we just mentioned earlier, our eighth, Moises Caicedo. We don't know if he's leaving or staying. They had a friendly a couple of days ago. He was not in the squad for that, meaning they're probably preparing for his transfer by the time this podcast comes out. News will probably have broken on that, so we'll see. Big news, though, is that Alexis McAllister is no longer with the Seagulls. Of course... He went to Liverpool. They bring in Liverpool's James Milner, who is 37 years old. So I don't know if that's a like for like, you know, swap there. They're also going to have added European games because they're going to be in the Europa League. Their manager, Roberto Deserbi, if you remember, Graham Potter was their manager at Brighton. He goes to Chelsea. I don't know where he is now. He's not at Chelsea because that was a disaster. Roberto Deserbi comes in. And he does even better than Graham Potter did at Brighton. And Graham Potter was doing a really good job. So they could definitely surprise again. But with the added games they're going to have this season and potentially two of their best players gone, I don't know. I've got Brighton at 8th. And then at 7th, I've got Tottenham because it really all depends on if Harry Kane is going to leave. And right now, the rumor is if a transfer is going to get done, And right now, the only team bidding is Bayern Munich. If a transfer is going to get done, it needs to happen this week. Because if it's not this week, then Harry Kane, then he doesn't want to move. So that's the question everybody's asking right now. If he does move, Tottenham would drop down on this list. They would not be seventh. Because Richarlison would basically be his replacement. And while we've seen him score some pretty spectacular goals for Brazil at the World Cup, he's only scored one goal for Tottenham, which was a big disappointment last year. So if Harry Kane goes, uh uh-oh. But if Harry Kane stays, I think Tottenham will have a chance at Europe next year because even though Hugo Lloris is out in goal, Spurs brought in Guglielmo Vicario from Empoli. He steps in and they got a nice midfield signing with Leicester's James Madison as well. Leicester is one of those three teams who got relegated from the Premier League, so they kind of had a selling spree. James Madison, though, was one of their bright spots. So that could be good for Tottenham as well. So it, all, it really just depends, because we're still a few days away from the season starting, but the transfer window's not closed. So transfers can still happen, and Harry Kane might leave. But if he stays, I think Tottenham will at least be decent next year. Maybe they'll get a trophy. I don't know. They don't have one. Aston Villa, 6th. 
Y'all remember Aston Villa at the beginning of last season? They were last. Stevie G, Steven Gerrard was their manager. He got fired. Unai Emery comes in. They, ugh, at the time, woof. And he took them to seventh place. And I think they could finish even better next season. They're going to play European soccer for the first time since 2011 in the Conference League. And Moussa Diaby is going to assist in propelling Villa and their new crest. They've got this new crest that they're going to wear, logo, basically, next season, which I think looks really nice. So Aston Villa, they don't have Stevie G anymore. He's off to uh, Saudi is where he's managing now, I think. Uh-huh. So Aston Villa, they could be really good. Fifth, here we go, y'all. Top five teams. Out of those five, fifth is obviously the one you don't want to be in because that's the team that just misses out on the Champions League. These five teams, I think, have separated themselves into their own tier from the rest of the league. Of course, those teams are Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, and Newcastle. Last year, this team was Liverpool. They finished fifth. Outside the top four for the first time since the 2015-2016 season. It's the truth. I don't have them fifth, though. I have Newcastle fifth. They were the surprise Champions League qualifiers last season. They've got the Saudi money, and that's obviously helped them. But it hasn't been as big of a spending spree as we expected this offseason. They just added Sandro Tonali and Harvey Barnes from AC Milan and Leicester, respectively. Those are good, but they did lose Alan St. Maximin, Chris Wood, and Jamal Lewis from last year, who were all pretty big contributors. And then, like some of those other teams that I mentioned, they've got extra European games. They're playing in the Champions League this year, and so that could tire out the Magpies. I do like Magpies as a nickname. Newcastle, though, it's the oil money. I don't know about that. And put them outside the top four. Four! I've got all these other teams are going to the Champions League. I predict four. I've got Liverpool. Darwin, Darwin Nunez. He came from Benfica to the Big Reds. I've missed all those Darwin Nunez TikTok songs. But last season was a big disappointment for Liverpool. As I said, finished outside the top four. First time in seven years, basically. They have a new revamp midfield because... Alexis McAllister, as I mentioned, from Brighton has come in. Jordan Henderson was their captain. Fabinho, they're off to Saudi. They said, they said, you know what? Stevie G, Steven Gerrard, if you didn't know, club legend at Liverpool. Stevie G's in Saudi. Let's go over there. So they're off in Saudi. Virgil van Dijk is the new captain for Liverpool. And Jurgen Klopp is still there. Yeah, I think they'll bounce back at least to four. I do think the three teams ahead of them are better talent-wise. Darwin Nunez, they make all the songs about him, but he wasn't that impressive last year. We'll see, but I've at least got him going back to the Champions League. Third, Manchester United. Ooh, tricked you out there. They did make some big-time moves. Those were the headlines for the offseason this year. Mason Mount is coming in. Rasmus Hoijand is coming in, and the goalkeeper, Andre Onana, is coming in, which means David De Gea, for the first time in a long time, is not going to be goalkeeper for United. Alex Tellis, Anthony Alonga, they're also gone, so it's kind of, for Eric Ten Hag, the manager, kind of a mini revamp that's going on. So it may take a little bit for them to settle in this year. Now, last year, beginning of the season, was horrible they almost went the whole month first month of the season without a goal i don't think it's going to be anything like that but i do have them finishing where they did last year which was third so here we go y'all top two teams are arsenal and man city who do i have as champion because man city have won the league for the last couple of years the last three seasons they're looking for their fourth straight league title but I don't think that's going to happen. I've got City second. What? If you didn't see, on Sunday, City and Arsenal competed in the Community Shield, which is kind of this preseason match in England between the top two finishers from last season. Usually it's the winner of the league and then the winner of the FA Cup. 
but Miss City won both of those, so they'll take the second place team, which was Arsenal from the league last year. So those two teams played in the Community Shield on Sunday. Arsenal won in penalties. Normally that wouldn't give me any pause because City have played in the last three Community Shields and they've lost all three of those. So I don't think that really matters. But what does is when the manager, Pep Guardiola, says that his roster still doesn't feel complete. They lost Tokai Gundogan and Riyad Mahrez this offseason. They're hoping to offset those losses with Mateo Kovacic from Chelsea and Jose Guardiol from Leipzig, Bernardo Silva, Kyle Walker. Those are a couple of the players who their futures are still kind of up in the air. I think they're going to sign new contracts, though. You know, they've still got Erling Holland, who scored a ridiculous amount of goals last year. So as long as they have Holland, they'll be fine. But I do think that Arsenal are going to win the league next year. Because, if y'all remember, 248 days, Arsenal were at the top of the table last season, which is the most by any club in the Premier League who didn't end up winning the title. Arsenal and Mikel Arteta, the manager of Arsenal, Pep Guardiola's former top assistant, they're going to remember that. This year, things are going to be different, and I think it all started in the Community Shield last week over Man City, because even though they won in penalties, you can just tell by the way Arsenal reacted to the Community Shield, it was big to beat Man City and get a trophy out of it. And also, Declan Rice is a big-time addition in the midfield. Kai Havertz, King Kai, up top. He could propel the Gunners over a City team that, as... Pep Guardiola said, maybe after winning the Premier League, the FA Cup, and the Champions League last year, maybe this year is a bit of a transition. Now for City, that doesn't, you know, they're still going to look like one of the best teams in the world. But if Arsenal really stick to it at the top, they play for the whole season, more like they did at the beginning of the season and at the end. I mean, also, they've got a guy we've talked about on this podcast a little bit over the last few months, Florin Balogun. If he stays, we're still talking about transfers, he could still transfer to Inter. He was on loan in France last season. He was one of the top goal scorers in France last year. And so Arsenal have placed a high price tag on him. He's not starting. He wants to start. He could go to Inter Milan if they can afford him. They're currently negotiating on that. He, if Florin Balogun stays with Arsenal, he could obviously be a really nice backup piece up top, even though I'd rather see him starting for a team like Inter. But even if that doesn't happen, he could still be pretty impactful for the Gunners, who I do think are going to win the Premier League season. Last year I picked City. It happened because I think last year I was just like, you know what, they got Erling Haaland now. Yeah, there's no chance. But Arsenal... They were at the top for a long time last season, and they remember that game against City a couple weeks before the season ended that was basically, you know, in a league where you don't have a playoff, so there's really no championship game as close to a championship game as you get, that Arsenal-Man City game, and how Man City basically trounced Arsenal in that game. They're going to remember that. Mikel Arteta brought in some reinforcements, so I think Arsenal are going to win the Premier League this coming season. The Premier League, which begins this Friday, Burnley hosts Man City. That's going to be a really intriguing game to watch. And you can watch every Premier League match in the U.S. on NBC Sports with NBC, USA, and Peacock. So, now that we got the Premier League out of the way, the table, I'm just going to roll through a couple of these other leagues, give my predictions, because I really wanted to talk about this next league which is Serie A in Italy, because I'm going to be watching a lot more Serie A this year. And if you're a U.S. fan, you probably are too, especially a little old club up in the fabulous city of Milan, AC Milan. They have attracted all of us U.S. fans over the last few weeks because they, of course, signed Christian Pulisic, and then they added Eunice Musa in the midfield. So... We've got this front three that I think is, once they get going, it's going to be tough to stop them in Europe and in Syria. Rafael Leo on the left, 
Christian Pulisic on the right. Even though he usually plays on the left, he's probably going to play on the right because Leao is so good on the left. And then Olivier Giroud up top, who Pulisic has played with before and connected with really well at Chelsea, which is why that could be so dangerous. And then the talent you have with all three of those guys, but then with the guy Leao, who Christian hasn't played with before, Y'all, that is exciting because it looks like Pulisic is going to be starting regularly, which is something nice to see because we didn't see that often at Chelsea. And he scored earlier today in a friendly against Monza. So that was pretty cool. And so I'm really excited about AC Milan. But it wasn't AC Milan who won the league last year. It was Napoli who had 90 points last season, ran away with the league. Their top goal scorer, Victor Osimhen, who scored 26 goals in the league last year. That led the league, Syria, in goals last year. Spitting the truth. That's going to be another threat. There's also the other team in Milan, Inter, who of course were in the Champions League final last year. As I mentioned earlier, if they can grab Florin Balogun, those would be, listen, those would be some amazing Milan derbies. Or as they call it in Milan, in Italy, in Italian, the Derby Dea Modernina. Hope I got that right, because I am practicing my Italian. No one cares. Those would be some really good Milan derbies, let me tell you. If Balogun goes to Inter. Listen, the AC Milans, just like the Leeds fans got fed up with all the Americans, the AC Milans, once, if Balogun goes to Inter, and then we're kind of, you know, not really rooting for a side in the Der- Milan derbies, they're going to get pretty pissed with all the US fans, but you know what? I just want to see our U.S. players succeed, especially Christian Pulisic, because what happened at Chelsea, like Tyler Adams, please don't go to Chelsea. You just saw what happened to Christian Pulisic, and now he's going to be thriving. Pulisic is going to be thriving, playing some of the best soccer we've ever seen him play this year. It's going to be awesome, y'all. And of course, Juventus. They're not playing European football because of all the UEFA sanctions they've got going on. They were deducted points. They're not playing in Europe this year, but they do have a U.S. men's national team duo of their own. Weston McKinney's back from loan from Leeds. Looks like he's going to be playing more regularly, and then they just signed Tim Weah, who, as you remember, started on the wing for the U.S. opposite Pulisic in the World Cup, even though Mob listed him as a defender, which I think he's played wing back before, so that could potentially be an option. But Juventus is another team I'm going to be watching a lot. So, for my pick for the league, I mean, there's no way I've not got AC Milan winning this thing this year. I've got AC Milan, Pulisic, Musa. I mean, come on. But not just that, Giroud, Leao. I think that front three is going to be one of the most productive in the world. Mark that down. That's going to be a fact. AC Milan are going to win Serie A this year. And all the matches in Serie A are broadcast in the U.S. on CBS Sports, the majority on Paramount+, and some others on CBS Sports Network. Their season begins next Saturday. So I've got two other leagues to touch on real quick. The Bundesliga in Germany. Bayern Munich have, of course, won 11 straight Bundesliga titles, but it only took them until the final moments of the final day last year for them to actually secure the title over Borussia Dortmund. Their manager, Thomas Tuchel. Can they grab Harry Kane? You know, we'll find out by the end of the week. Can Sadio Mane have a bigger impact this season? He came over from Liverpool last season. Didn't have as big an impact as we thought he was going to. Is Thomas Tuchel going to fight another manager on the touchline like he did with Antonio Conte at Chelsea beginning of last season? So many questions for Bayern Munich. And that is why... Borussia Dortmund with a hopefully healthy Gio Reyna, who cares what his parents say, we all love Gio Reyna, could sneak in to grab their first league title since 2012. Potentially. But of course, they're going to have to deal with life after Jude Bellingham. He's gone, basically their star midfielder is gone to Real Madrid. But they lost Sterling Hall in the season before, and they didn't look like They were as bad as many people anticipated. So we'll see with Borussia Dortmund because they always sell these big players. Pulisic. And they just keep churning them out. So we'll see. And the Bundesliga is also, beyond Giorena, 
another league ripe with some great Americans, if you didn't know, including both of some of our favorite brothers, the Medford Messies, because Paxton signed with Eintracht Frankfurt last season, and then Brendan, who, of course, played for Leeds last year. We all loved it when he went over there, and oh my gosh, y'all, that first goal he scored against Mendy, the goalkeeper for Chelsea, just took the ball from him. No luck shot into the goal. It was incredible. Oh, I have to dig up that video. Aronson going and getting it. Oh, a howler from Mendy. And the American punishes Chelsea. And that will be a goal. A first Leeds goal for Brendan Aronson. But he is on loan from Leeds at Union Berlin. Jordan Pifak, another U.S. national, is at Union Berlin. And then Timothy Chandler is at Frankfurt with Paxton, Brendan's younger brother. You've also got John Brooks. Hasn't really found a home with Greg Berhalter's U.S. men's national team, but he has found a home at Hoffenheim. Joe Scally has gone to Borussia Mönchengladbach. One of my favorite names to say. And then 20-year-old former D.C. United homegrown Kevin Paredes is currently at Wolfsburg. So, for my pick for the Bundesliga, I mean, I don't really want to pick Bayern Munich, so I'm going to pick Dortmund. Gio Reyna had to pick someone else, and I think Dortmund are going to prove the biggest challenge to Munich. So, I've got Dortmund this season. And all matches in the Bundesliga stream in the U.S. on ESPN+. Their season kicks off next Friday. And so, one more league to go. La Liga in Spain. Start with Barcelona. They won the league last year. Their big-time, bought-up squad. Headlined, of course, by Robert Lewandowski, who scored 23 league goals. They won the league for the first time since 2019 last year. They've also, of course, got their young homegrown stars, Pedri and Gavi, along with Rafinha. They are all back. Ilkay Gundogan, as I said, from Man City. He's at Barcelona, but there's no Dembele. No Sergio Busquets, no Jordi Alva. That would be thanks to Lionel Messi and Inter Miami. Or Serginho Des are basically our lone U.S. American. Because there are no other Americans on any other La Liga roster. So that's kind of sad. And Serginho Des is reportedly being dropped out and is going to be a free agent. Because Xavi, the manager, doesn't believe he can fit in or whatever. I don't know. So that. I'm not too happy about. And then the other big team, of course, in La Liga is Real Madrid. Their title is, of course, going to be challenged by Real Madrid, who are still trying to figure out how they can get Kylian Mbappe there for free next summer. Kylian Mbappe, by the way, he's at PSG right now, but he's kind of on the outs. Maybe it's weird, because if you haven't been following the situation, Mbappe, of course, one of the best players in the world, 24 years old. He's at PSG right now. He signed a new contract a couple years ago after the rumors were he would go to Spain. And he ultimately said, you know what? I'm going to stay in PSG. Well, his contract ends next summer because he had a player option to extend it for another year to 2025. He declined that. And so it ends next summer. And so if he leaves at the end of his contract next summer, then the team that gets him doesn't have to pay PSG a fee because he'll be a free agent. PSG, even though they've got that sweet, sweet guitar money, they don't want that. They do not want Kylian Mbappe to go for free next summer because they believe that he's already negotiated with Real Madrid and is like, I'm going to go there next summer for free for you all so you don't have to pay anything for me. Well, PSG don't want that, so basically he's now training with the players who aren't part of the plan for the team. There's been rumors about potential loan options that they could force Mbappe to go on, or I don't know how they could do that because they can't really force him to go if he really doesn't want to go. Real Madrid, obviously they're not going to pay whatever exorbitant amount of money that PSG would force them to pay for just one year. They're like, we can get him for free. Next year, that's what we're going to do. And so now, the latest rumor is that MLS, who are, you know, coming off the signing of Lionel Messi, which 
worked out pretty well, I think, because MLS has gone viral many times over the last few weeks with some of these crazy golosos that Messi's putting in in League's Cup and in MLS. But now MLS uh, signing that, you know, what one of the only signings in the world that would be bigger than Messi is a 24-year-old Kylian Mbappe. If they could, I, I don't see how that could happen for even just a loan year. But if it did, I don't know, I'd, I'd give it about a 0.1% chance, a 0.000001% chance it happens, actually. But if it did, y'all, I mean, that, that would be bigger than Messi. Obviously, Messi's still playing amazingly, as we see, you know, in the games he's playing in right now. But Mbappe is in his prime, 24 years old. That would be just on an potentially another level, which is insane to think about because of the way Messi has already elevated Inter Miami and MLS. That's probably not going to happen, though. But what is going to happen over the next season with Kylian Mbappe? It's interesting because most likely he's going to be in Real Madrid next summer. But for the next year, what's going to happen? That'll be interesting to see. But for Real Madrid, they did make perhaps already the biggest transfer splash this summer by signing the aforementioned Jude Bellingham from Dortmund. They dropped Karim Benzema, Eden Hazard, and Marco Asensio, though. And it's almost certainly Carlo Ancelotti's last go as the manager. He's expected to take over Brazil next summer in time for Copa America, which is in the United States, if you didn't know. So they'll probably try and win something. They've they've won the Champions League. They've won La Liga. They've won basically everything you can with Carlo Ancelotti. But I do think that they will regain their spot at the top of the league. Barcelona obviously is dealing with all their financial woes. So I've got Real Madrid winning La Liga in Spain, getting back to the top after Barcelona won last season. And all the matches, just like in the Bundesliga, all the matches in La Liga stream on ESPN Plus in the U.S. The season begins on Friday. All 20 teams are playing in their first league game throughout the weekend. It'll be fun to watch. It would be better to watch with a bunch of U.S. players. So La Liga, if we can get on that, that'd be nice. But, you know, we'll take what we can get for now. So, La Liga's done. Finally. To wrap up the podcast, just wanted to give you my prediction for this year's UEFA Champions League because we've also got the UEFA European Club competitions this season to talk about. Manchester City, as you may remember, they broke through. They won their first ever UEFA Champions League. Sevilla took down Roma in a penalty shootout in the Europa League final. That was the first loss ever for the manager of Roma, Jose Mourinho, in a European Cup final. And West Ham, as I said earlier, they were the victors of the Conference League. That's just their second European title. They won the 1965 Cup Winners' Cup, which obviously is not around anymore, and that's an interesting name. But at the time, that was basically like the Europa League. So West Ham won their second European title. But we do have an interesting match to watch between the winners of last year's Champions League and last year's Europa League. It's called the UEFA Super Cup. It happens every year. Manchester City and Sevilla, they're going to face off a week from today, Wednesday, August 16th at 3 p.m. Eastern on Paramount+. And I guess if I have to make a prediction, I'll prick Man City to win that game. Yeah, probably. And a prediction for this year's Champions League, y'all. The team, Real Madrid's won 14 Champions Leagues most all-time, but the team that has won second most is 7, AC Milan. They will win their 8th this year behind Leao, Drew, and Pouli. Y'all, it makes sense. They went to the semifinal last year of the UEFA Champions League. It was the Milan Derby against Inter. And so this isn't some random out-of-the-blue U.S. homer prediction, even though, I mean, maybe. But it's still, you know, it does make sense. AC Milan are going to be one of the top teams in Europe next year and could be the best if they can win, as I predict, the UEFA Champions League. So 
all those facts, digest them, take them in. We've got a couple days left until the top European Soccer League start. Y'all, it is going to be fun. Because I need something to distract me from the women's loss in the World Cup. And this, starting up on Friday, it's going to be a pretty good distraction. So those are basically all the soccer facts that I've got for you on this week's edition of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to all those facts, the hour-long edition of Facts. And remember that if you liked all the facts that we had on this week's edition of the podcast, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, episode 114, rate and review the podcast, and then check us out on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, threads, at Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends, spread the facts, Xander's Facts Podcast. Tell all your friends about the podcast, about the newsletter, Xander's Weekend Facts, about Xander's Facts on YouTube, because all our new episodes, including this one, get posted to YouTube. You should check that out, subscribe, and check out the Xander's Facts link tree because it has all the Xander's Facts links that you need. So that's episode 114. Next week, of course, we're going to have a new episode of the podcast, episode 115. Whatever we're talking about, it's going to be something factual, as it is every week. So tune in. we got a brand new episode next week. Set your reminders. 5 a.m. Wednesday, it comes out. Of course, you can listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you get your podcast. So that is it. That is a wrap on episode 114 of the Xander Specs Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all with episode 115 next week. The caravan of mostly Central American immigrants is now in the Mexican city of Guadalajara tonight where it has...